So this morning we are continuing our mental health series, and I just want to start uh, by acknowledging that I am not a professional or an expert on this topic, but the whole heart behind this series is really just to normalize the conversation. We want to help get rid of the stigma that can surround mental health, and we want to look to the Bible and to Jesus for some biblical wisdom to help us through. The reality is that most of us like to present stronger than we actually are. Often we withdraw when we're struggling because we feel embarrassed, we feel ashamed, or maybe we open up about our struggles and then that, that sort of leads to feelings of failure. Well, one of the really challenging things that Jesus calls us to is to live a life of authenticity and vulnerability, and honesty, and it's hard, but that's what he's calling us to. So we've got to let people see us for who we actually are if we want to walk towards healing. We do not need to wait until our testimony has a happy ending before we share it with someone. Sometimes we think it's sort of all got to be wrapped up with a little bow on it before we can share it, but ongoing mental health struggles still have hope when Jesus is in the mix, and we can be honest about saying, I am not in a good space, it's hard, but I'm clinging to hope, I'm clinging to God that it is going to improve. John Tyson says this, God can't transform who you're pretending to be, so we need to get real and honest with ourselves and with others. One of my sons doesn't love reading books. He, he finds it difficult, but he loves listening to audio stories. And so I read the book, and he listens to the audio book, and just so we, we can discuss it together. So at the moment, we're in this magical series called Nevermore, and it's about this girl, Morrigan Crow, and she's going through a series of challenges. And so the first challenge, she's given a blank bit of paper, and she's asked these really raw, probing questions, and she needs to write down the honest truth, the honest answer to the question, which sounds quite simple, but proves to be really challenging. And so as she starts to write, the paper starts to burn. And so here's the thing. It's actually a magical piece of paper. The paper knows the truth. It knows the truth under all the layers at the core of who she is. But unless she can discover it and write it down, she's not going to pass the challenge. And kids all around her are being disqualified. Their pieces of paper are going up in smoke. And I thought it was really interesting because maybe some of those kids didn't want to tell the truth. But I think for a lot of them, they didn't know what the truth was. And, and I think for us, sometimes we're not very self-aware. We don't really know what's going on underneath all the layers. Maybe sometimes we, we are so busy presenting strong that we don't actually know how to be honest, how to be vulnerable, how to say we're struggling. Or maybe we're so busy rushing around, we're working, we're looking after our family, we're doing all the things, so we don't have time to slow down and actually notice that we're on the verge of a mental breakdown. Or maybe we're so busy looking after other people, tending to their cares and anxieties, we don't know that our anxiety is actually on the rise, and what will happen if we don't addresses is starts to bubble over in all these different dysfunctional ways. God wants us to be real with him and he wants us to be real with ourselves. He wants us to be real with our community. He wants us to take off the masks and be who he created us to be with all our dysfunctions and flaws. But then of course, he doesn't wanna leave us there in a place of dysfunction. He wants to walk us towards a place of healing. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, John 10, 10, 
Jesus has come to give us life and life to the full. But what does fullness of life mean? And John Swinton has written this amazing book called Finding Jesus in the Storm. He discusses the fact that if we wanna know what fullness of life is, we gotta look at Jesus's life because his life is not a life without the hard stuff. It's not a life without disappointment, suffering, pain, but thankfully it's also not a life without the good stuff the joy, the peace, the hope, the resurrection life. So we have to have a theology that doesn't diminish the suffering and the pain, but also takes really seriously the hope and the freedom that we can have in Jesus. John Swinton says this, life in all its fullness is life with God, a God who accompanies us on a complex journey within which we live in the startling light of resurrection, but remain intensely aware that Jesus' cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, still resonates throughout creation today. Life in all its fullness is not life without tears, but life with the one who dries our tears and moves us onward to fresh pastures. Mental health doesn't just fall into two categories sick and healthy. It is this huge continuum. And guess what, friends? We are all on there somewhere. We go up the continuum, we come down the continuum. We have a good day, we have a not so good day, we have a really bad day, we have a bad season. Some of us have been in a bad season for as long as we can remember. But the good news is it doesn't matter where we're sitting on the continuum. Jesus promises us that he will never leave us or forsake us. God's promise to us is that when we walk with Jesus through this, he helps us navigate it. He doesn't take away all the hard stuff, but he helps us along the way. And he helps us live a life that is still faithful. He helps us live with wisdom to listen to those around us that we trust and to learn to love him through all the hard seasons. Often we can feel really guilty if we're not coping. We can feel like it's a personal failure, especially if you're a Christian. It's absolutely fine for non-Christians to have a mental breakdown, absolutely fine for them to be burnt out or just going a little bit nutty. But if you're a Christian, it feels somehow like it's a personal failure, like you didn't try hard enough to be happy in the worship that morning. And I just wanna say that is rubbish. That is total and utter rubbish. You know, Romans 8.1 tells us there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So while we can be messed up about all sorts of things, and I know that we are, we should have less guilt and shame. If we are struggling, we should have less guilt and shame. We have to wage war against that stuff so we're not carrying it around. It says in 2 Corinthians, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So if you're sitting here this morning, you're struggling with guilt or condemnation for the ways that you're struggling, those thoughts are not from God. They are absolutely not from Him. I recently watched an interview uh, with Bruxy Cavey, my favorite pastor. Well, Sam Harvey, I suppose, is my favorite pastor. (laughs) Very close second, Bruxy Cavey. And he's talking to a lady, Joanne Goodwin, who has struggled with severe depression most of her life. And because she was a Christian, this just led to immense feelings of failure, like she was doing Christianity wrong, like she somehow was sort of missing the boat. She felt like the worst Christian ever. And one of these times when she was severely depressed, she headed to the chemist to buy enough painkillers to kill herself. But on the way, a little thought popped into her head and she thought, Maybe there is something wrong with me. Maybe I can't get through this on my own. And so she ended up going to see the doctor. They did some tests. And what they found out was she had a major chemical imbalance in her brain 
that meant her brain was broken. And on the medication, she came out of the fog. The medication helped her so much, but she still had to deal with all the shame and all the stigma that comes with having a mental health struggle. She had to wage war against feeling shame and guilt. She had to wage war against feeling like a failure every day. And you know, she's in a great space now, but she still has dips like everyone does with their mental health. And when she's having a dip, she has to go back to the doctor and retweak her medication. And one of these times when she was really low, she talked to her pastor and he said to her, well, are you reading the word? And he was sort of implying, well, like, you're obviously not reading the word. And I know, I absolutely know he would have been well-meaning. Like he's trying to draw her closer to Jesus, absolutely. But she was just so discouraged because she was reading the word and she was staying close to Jesus, but she was still sick and she still needed medication and that was okay. And years earlier, she'd had a cancer um, treatment and, and when she was sick uh, with cancer, never once did someone say to her, oh, are you reading the word? Like, never once did someone imply that because she wasn't reading the word, she, she was sick with cancer. And, and somehow we've got this thing in our head, like physical sickness is more acceptable than mental sickness. We never blame a person for being physically sick. We feel sorry for them. But historically, there's been a shame and a stigma that surrounds mental health. Like, it's a personal failure and it's not. And so today I want to rebuke some of the lies that we have heard or believed or that have been spoken over us. There is no shame in struggling with your mental health. Whether you have anxiety, depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, whatever it is, it does not mean you're doing Christianity wrong. Struggling with your mental health does not mean you're a bad Christian. Struggling with your mental health does not mean the absence of God in your life. Even if you don't know where he is, if you can't find him through the muddled thoughts. Maybe you've withdrawn to him, but it does not mean he's absent from you. Some of the best Christians I know have struggled with their mental health or are continuing to struggle with their mental health. So we've got to get real and honest about our struggles. We have to bring it into the light. Testimony brings such healing, not just to the person sharing, but to the people hearing it. Because we hear a testimony, we think, wow, okay, if they have received that much healing, come that far along their journey, maybe I can too. Or maybe we look at them and think, wow, I didn't realize they were walking with such a limp, but they are and they're staying close to Jesus, or maybe I can too. We've got to bring our stories into the light and be honest. And then the shame and the stigma surrounding it is just driven out. If we want to find healing, we've got to get real about our struggles. When we were in Christchurch, I had my first experience of a real mental health struggle. So Sam and I went out for dinner with some friends that I love, friends I know really well, and something happened to me that night. I was just having a good time, and next minute, I started hallucinating. So the person next to me started getting bigger and smaller. They've got quite a big head anyway, actually. But, like, they're quite a skinny with a big head, but, like, the head was getting bigger and smaller, and I, I started just giggling about everything. Like, I'm sure I was more fun than I normally am, but um, I felt really out of it. It reminded me a lot of the teenage years, not in a good way, but I just, I, I felt like I'd been drugged. And I wasn't scared, really. I was actually having a good time. I didn't feel despair. I didn't feel a feeling of dread, but I did feel like there was something weird going on and my heart was racing. So on the way home, like we didn't rush home, we just had our nice evening, but on the way home we stopped at the after hours 
And the doctor said to me, I think you've just obviously had, an, had a reaction to something you've eaten. Probably um, the MSG. You're at an Asian restaurant. Often there's MSG added to the cooking. A lot of people are sensitive to it. Don't eat Asian food. <laughs> I was like, this is a death sentence. Like, that is so sad. What a sad life without Asian food. But I was like, okay, went home, went to bed, woke up the next morning feeling fine, absolutely fine, until the next time I went out for dinner. And all of a sudden, I felt a bit stressed because I thought, oh, man, I wonder what I can eat. Don't want to do that again, especially not around people I don't know well because I was like a total lunatic that night. So I, I just thought, okay, I've got to be careful about what I order. And MSG is actually in so many things. So I didn't really know what, but I ordered something, felt pretty confident. Exactly the same thing happened again. But this time it was so much worse because this whole feeling of dread came over me and it was like a black kind of blanket just came over me. My heart was racing, my palms were sweaty. I, I just was, I felt like I was completely losing my mind. And then fast forward a week, maybe two, and I had completely unraveled because I could no longer eat anything. I could not eat anything without having that reaction. And so I was, I just didn't know what I could eat. And of course, when you don't eat, your blood sugar goes right down. You feel terrible. That doesn't help your mental health. I was really desperate. I didn't know what I was doing. And I remember this one morning, Sam and I uh, got up. I had about two spoonfuls of rolled oats, because by then I was trying to just eat a really plain diet. And straight away, it happened again. My heart's racing. I'm sweating. I'm dizzy. I don't know what's happening. Sam doesn't know what's happening. And we were going for a walk with the kids to the tree swing, which is one of my favorite spots in Christchurch. And it was a beautiful day. And I was just in despair. So I just remember staring at my feet on the walk, just thinking, I'm just going to put one foot in front of the other foot. That's all I can do today. And that's all I did. It was so painful. And my doctor had no idea what was going on. I've never had a struggle with my mental health. She was going down the route of all the food allergies. But she sent me to another doctor. Thank you, Lord. It was God's mercy. I went to the other doctor. He listened to my crazy ramblings. And he said to me, I think you might have had a reaction that first time. But I think you have become so anxious and wound up and so strung out about what you can and can't eat that you're in such a hyper state of anxiety and just sensitivity that whenever you eat, you're feeling the physiological changes in your body and you're just having a panic attack. You are having panic attacks. I felt like, oh my gosh, until he said that word, I don't think I was panicking, but now I am. Like, just, <laughs> it's like, oh gosh. And I just thought, yeah, that's ridiculous. That can't be right. And I thought, oh my gosh. And he gives me this printout and he says to me, just go home and eat normally. So I was like, okay. Got home, saw Sam, told Sam. Sam's like, that's ridiculous. Like, that can't be right. You're not panicking. So we sat and chatted, prayed. And then we thought, you know what? We're going to trust the professionals. We're going to trust the doctor. He's probably seen this before. And so I just ate normally. And I tried not to overthink it. And I have never, ever had another panic attack ever. Thank you, Lord. But you know what? I was not out of the woods with my mental health because I had unraveled well and truly by then. And I was dizzy all the time and anxious and feeling really fragile, like I'd lost my confidence, like I couldn't trust my own brain. And, and so what happened then, and this is the really important part that I want you to remember, the only reason I didn't sink was because of community. That is the 
only reason. If I had been a solo mum without any friends, I would have ended up in an institution because my brain had unraveled. But you know what happened? My mum swooped in. And Sam swooped in. It's, it makes me emotional thinking about it. And my friends swooped in. And I didn't do anything. I didn't take the kids to school. I didn't pick them up. I didn't cook. All I tried to do was rest. I tried to reset my brain. The doctor said, rest. See if you can get some extra sleep. Don't put any pressure on yourself. I only did the things I absolutely had to do. And I know that that is a privilege that some of you don't have a mum who's retired who can help you or a husband who's got flexible work hours or friends that drop off meals. But it was so important to have community at that time. It's the only reason that after a couple of weeks, I started to feel like myself again. And it was a very short time, but I learned so much in that time because I re-looked at my whole life. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm not surprised when I look at my life that this happened. My life is too busy, too stressy, too messy, too rushy. It's all the things. And, and I sat down and I got my journal out and I just wrote a new mental health plan in there. You know, I lay in bed and just prayed in tongues. I exercised. I tried to eat healthily. I went to bed at a good time. I didn't look at the news or screens. I just tried to reset. And the thing is with mental health, it's so intrinsically linked to the other health in our body. Our physical health, it's linked to. Our emotional health, our spiritual health. It's all, it's all one, the same. God made us as a whole, not just a spiritual being. And so I needed to look at all those different things if I wanted to get my mental health right. And since that day, I have not had one more panic attack, thank you, Lord. But I have struggled with anxiety on and off, and now I know what it is. Now I know what it feels like. When I feel like I'm overstimulated, my heart's rushing, I start to feel a bit dizzy, or you know, my eyesight starts to feel a bit blurry. I'm like, oh my gosh, i got to slow down. This is anxiety. And a couple of years ago, I went through something really painful, a relational breakdown that was so painful for my heart. And I felt like I went through deep grief at that time, but it also caused me to move back into anxiety. And so when I realized, oh man, I'm moving into that anxious place again, I went back to my journal, opened it up, did all the things, but this time the things didn't work and I actually needed extra help. And so I went to a counselor and this guy was amazing because what he did was he helped me reorganize my thinking. He helped me on the road to recovery and I needed that extra help. And if that hadn't helped, I would have headed to the doctor and I would have gone on medication for a season because there is no shame in struggling with your mental health. And there is no shame in needing extra help. Some of the best Christians I know have struggled with their mental health at times, and I've been so inspired and encouraged by their journey. So I've asked a few of them to share this morning, just very briefly, just to give you a wee snapshot into their life. And the people that I've picked this morning are people that you may not know have struggled with mental health. And this is the thing. We are all on the continuum. We all struggle. We all go up. We all go down. All right, I'm going to hand over to Matt. You may have seen these guys up the front because lots of them are in the worship team or maybe they've spoken or maybe they shared. And that's the point. The people that look like they've got it all together, they haven't. <laughs> None of us have. That's it. But we're all on this journey with Jesus. Okay, thank you. Hello, uh, my name's Matt, um, part of the worship team and also currently employed part-time by Bay Vineyard Church. Uh, I'm a primary school teacher in my other hours. 
Um, Elise and I, we also run a home church uh, here. Um, I've gone through periods of anxiety. Um, I mean, in the scheme of things, it's probably pretty low level, um, but um, I've struggled with, I guess, around things of purpose, identity, expectations, and usually in relationship to work and church. Um, I've regularly felt a tightness in my chest uh, and like I'm having to stretch myself beyond what I can give, a sense that I need to change myself to be more driven and strong to win at life. Um, over the past couple of years, I've been to counselling and I've started re- reading books to understand myself better and it's something I continue to work through. Uh, in following Jesus, I'm learning that it's important to be honest about where I'm at, accepting my current rea- reality and then bringing that to God. At times, that's involved shouting and sometimes even swearing at him. Um, that you know, God can't transform who you're pretending to be. My view of God hasn't always been a healthy view, and it's hard to trust and love someone you think if, if you think they're a bit of a dick. So um, over the past year, I've been working on my devotional life, and I feel my view of God is improving as I honestly begin facing the tough questions. So, yes. Hi, my name's Elise. I'm, I'm part of the worship team here at Bay Vineyard. And as Matt said, we lead a home church together. And I'm an optometrist in my spare time. So over the last 10 years, I've had a few struggles with my mental health, just in terms of coping with the usual ups and downs of life. For me, it has been triggered by a couple of things. Um, having children caused a lot of anxiety in those early years. And also physical health challenges, which triggered some deeper issues from my past. It is interesting how our physical and mental health is so intertwined. I've seen counsellors and psychologists and have found that having people around who I can be painfully honest with and talk about the issues with is a huge help. I have found that God's love has met me in my darkest times. And his patience is endless as I plod along, chipping away at my issues. Thank you. Kia ora whanau. Uh, my name is Andrew, and my family and I have made this church our spiritual home. I help out with worship occasionally, am part of a home group, and walk closely with the boys that attend Uppercliff. Looking back on my life, I can recognise periods of anxiety and depression since my years as a teenager. These have ranged in intensity from mild underlying unease and racing thoughts to full-blown panic episodes with symptoms not unlike a heart attack. Since my early 20s, I've been on a journey to manage my anxieties and live a life of deeper peace. Sometimes this has meant taking meds, praise Jesus for your four fluoxetine and lorazepam. (laughs) Uh, Despite this thorn in my side, I live in hope, believing that as I learn better how to be with Jesus, be like Jesus and do what he did, my days will increasingly be filled with a depth of peace that only comes from abiding in him. Morning church, Um, I'm Marie and I've called Bay Vineyard home for the last three years. Um, I've been involved in various ways and currently serve on the hospitality team. Um, Through some testing circumstances over the last few years, um, I too have struggled with anxiety at times and still do at times. Anxiety that sometimes makes the smallest tasks seem overwhelming and immobilise me from taking any action. Also means that um, I've not at times been able to consider things too far in the future and like can relate to others with that tight feeling in the chest and sometimes makes me want to hide away. But talking openly with trusted friends and counselling has been a huge help and can 
continues to be a good help. Um, and continually getting back on the wagon of making um, devotional life of Jesus a priority. Because in that, it's constantly that reminder, trusting him that my grace is sufficient for you and that my power is made perfect in your weakness. And therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Kia ora, Jurch and Jean. Um, I'm involved in worship and community programs for, my, for Manawa Order. So uh, my, actually all of childhood and teenage years, I struggled with really significant mental health issues around anxiety, uh, huge suicidation and self-harm and uh, depression. And most of my life, um, that was the, the constant journey. Um, in my late 30s, I was diagnosed with complex PTSD and a, um, and a depressive disorder, and learning that really helped me to understand why my brain operates differently. And it gave me this real interest in learning about trauma and neuroscience, which led me to focus on those sorts of learnings in my counselling degree. So through all of that, Jesus is my rock. He's the, he's the thing that keeps my head above the water when it feels like I'm absolutely drowning. And he's been by my side as I've learned how to keep myself well and reminds me when I'm not doing that very good. Uh, I now view my diagnoses as Paul did the thorn in his side. And I know it helps me be more reliant on God in order to look after me and in order to help others. Thank you so much you guys for your courage to share this morning. And I know there's so many more of us struggling with our mental health. None of them are bad Christians. Just like no one here is a bad Christian because you're struggling. My prayer is that this morning, if you aren't in a great space, you actually have the courage to say, hey, I am not in a good space. To someone this morning, someone, say it out loud to someone, maybe for the first time. God did not design us to go through these things on our own. He designed us to do it in community. He designed us as the body of Christ. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, it's just the opposite. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are the ones we can't do without. The parts that we think are less important, we treat with special honor. How beautiful is that? So if you're struggling this morning, that's okay. That it's our job as the body of Christ, as the church, to treat you this morning with special love, special grace, special honor. There's a prophecy about Jesus in the book of Isaiah, and Braxy Cavey does an amazing talk on mental health, and he points to this. Isaiah 42, it says, A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. It's just the most stunning verse. It points to the fact that when we're feeling bruised, we're feeling battered, we're feeling fragile, our God is gentle with us. He's kind with us. That's the God that we have. And so we as followers of Jesus, we got to learn how to be gentle and kind with those in our community that are struggling. Sadly, life is pretty stressful right now. And some of us are anxious about getting the vaccine and the mandates. Others of us are anxious about those who aren't getting the vaccines and who don't want to follow the mandates. And so it's really not surprising that our mental health is taking a hammering. 
there's a fatigue that comes with dealing with all of it day after day. And that's on top of all the normal stresses of life. Well, John Tyson did an amazing talk that I happened to listen to this week. Thank you, Lord. And I'm going to share some of his thoughts now. So anything good that I say from this point on, you can just thank John later. But he, he talks about the fact that Jesus dealt with stress. And he talks, he talks about the fact that Jesus dealt with anxiety. He had burdens. He, he had spiritual battles. There was heavy expectations placed on him. He was constantly living with the feeling of disappointing people. But at the end of his life, Jesus still had kindness. When he's on the cross, he says, forgive them, Father, because they know not what they do. And when, when he's just about to die, he still has trust. He says, into your hands, Lord, I commit my spirit. So Jesus has dealt with all the stress and anxiety, but he has this extraordinary response. Jesus is a non-anxious presence. He absorbed sin, and it came out as righteousness. He absorbed hate, and it came out as enemy love. He absorbed uncertainty, and it came out as peace and trust. Jesus was a non-anxious presence because he had a dependence on God in prayer. He prioritized prayer. His life was packed full to the brim with prayer. I've got some scriptures here, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but every scripture speaks to the fact that Jesus was constantly leaving the crowd and going off to find a quiet place to pray. He was constantly sending his friends on ahead of him, saying, hey, I'll catch up. I'm going up the mountain to pray. Or, oh, man, there's, there's people coming at me from all sides. I'm not going to deal with this right now. I'm going to go off and pray. He constantly took his stress and anxiety into God. It's just outstanding. How many of us take our stress and anxiety off and sit quietly in prayer as our first response? Probably not many of us. That's what we need to do. How do we deal with our anxiety? What is our priority when we're under pressure? Just have an honest moment with yourself. What's your priority when you're under pressure? But if Jesus needed to pray when he was under pressure and stress, how much more do we need to pray? We gotta stay close to Jesus when we're under pressure. John talks about the zone in which we flourish. And this is the zone we were created to live. It's the abiding zone where we abide in his love. So when we're in this zone, we're bearing fruit. We're remaining in his love. We've got friendship with Jesus. We've got peace and joy amidst the struggles. It's this beautiful overflow of a life lived with God. That's the zone we're created to live in. But all these stresses and pressures come on, and what happens is we get pushed out into one of the other zones. You've got the anxiety zone, which is the hyper-arousal, disorganized thinking. Our minds are out of control. We're overly emotional. Or we can go the other way. We can get pushed into the hypo zone, which is a zone of apathy. We're numb. We start withdrawing. We don't feel much or we feel depressed. I want you to think for a moment about which zone you're currently sitting in and operating from. And I want you to think about which zone is your go-to zone. Which one's your friend when you're struggling? Which is the one you go hang out with? And if you're in the anxiety zone or the apathy zone, there is no guilt, shame, condemnation for you this morning. None, but it's really good for you to know where you are so you can tend to the state of your heart. I was talking to Ryan Carsmaker last Sunday, I think it was, 
And Ryan and Joe are facing some really rough challenges because Joe is getting treatment at the moment for, chemo th uh, for cancer. She's getting chemotherapy and she's had a bunch of rounds and it's hard going. And they have got unknowns ahead of them that, that could be really fear-inducing. I would expect, talking to Ryan, that he would be living and chilling in the anxiety zone right now. But he wasn't. When I talked to him, he said, I'm feeling good. He was, just, he was bubbly. He said, I'm feeling strong. You know, I'm pressing into Jesus. He's reading his Bible. He's soaking himself in scripture. He's listening to the podcast. His heart is happy in the Lord, even as he faces the challenges. He is in the abiding zone. He is abiding in God's love. It is extraordinary, folks, but that's what's on offer when we can get ourselves into that abiding zone. John Tyson talks about a window of wonder, and this is a thing that he used through a really season. His wife nearly died from COVID. She was actually recording all little, the little voice memos for the people that she loved to say goodbye to. She was in such a bad way. She's out of the woods now. But he was in such a dark place that he, he had this window of wonder every day. And, and what he said was he needed to do whatever it took to get his heart happy in the Lord before he continued the rest of his day. That was his a priority, getting his mental health and his heart happy in the Lord before he continued on. So he would spend hours, whether it was praying or worshiping, or it might have been uh, looking at art or poetry, which he loves, or maybe just enjoying the beauty of creation. Whatever it was, whatever it took to get his heart happy in the Lord. And when I was in my really dark season, I listened to heaps of worship, but I also watched musical after musical after musical. Musical theatre lovers, have we got me? Yes, I see a hand up the back. Yes, thanks, Mum. Always encouraging. Thanks, Mum. You know, musical theatre is so good for the soul, and I just hope that the new heavens and earth are like that. We're all singing, we're all dancing. It's all choreographed. It's just so good. But, you know, that got my heart happy in the Lord. And we are all wired so differently. I want you to think, how could you get your soul happy in the Lord? How do you enjoy His presence? It will look very different for all of us. Something powerful was happening when Jesus withdrew to be in the presence of God in prayer. He didn't withdraw because he was depressed. He, was, he withdrew because he needed to be filled up. He withdrew because he was receiving. He received God's love, God's grace. He would have needed so much grace for people like we do. He was receiving God's hope, God's mercy. He was receiving it all. He was being filled up. Philippians 4 is the most wonderful invitation for us. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, and the God of peace will be with you. This is an invitation to bring it all to God, to bring all the hard parts to Him, to learn to abide in His love, and actually leave with more of his peace. I want that. That's what's on offer. We can have that. We're invited to cast our worries and our cares on God. But knowing the scriptures, and I know them, Psalm 55, 22, talks about casting your burdens on him and he will sustain you. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your worries on the Lord because he cares for you. There's a difference between knowing the scripture and doing it. We can think, oh yeah, I know, I know I can cast my worries on God. But are you doing it? We gotta get in the presence of God to cast our worries and anxieties on him. Only one of those things brings transformation. It's the actually doing of it. And so we've got to slow down, prioritize actually giving this stuff to God. Prioritize creating the space to give it to him and then receive his peace. 
We are really good at pretending we're fine, but let's say no to pretending. Let's say no to keeping things in the dark. Let's say no to the shame and the guilt that we're carrying. And instead, let's say yes, a big yes. Yes, I'm struggling. Yes, I need help from those around me. And yes, to God's great invitation to sit in his presence, pour it out, learn to abide, and then carry away more of his peace. Amen.